Well, there you have this authority figure who's in there teaching them these obscene topics and teaching them things that are polar opposite to your family values. And, and then you have this five or six or seven year old child whose brain isn't is in any way near fully developed to, to be able to differentiate about the right and the wrong. So they're thrown into complete confusion. Welcome to the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. It's Fearless with Mark and Amber. I'm your co-host, Amber Archer, and joining me as usual is my husband, Mark Archer. Playing the role of Mark today. Playing the role of Mark today. We're a husband and wife team sharing behind the scenes of our filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features, and our new documentary film, The Mind Polluters, that deals with the sexualization of our children through the education system. So we are picking up where we left off from Tuesday with part two of our four-part series with Mary McAllister. Mary is Senior Litigation Counsel with Child and Parental Rights Campaign. She has nearly three decades of experience as an attorney, as well as a passion for protecting the innocence of children. Mary received her law degree from the University of California, Berkeley, and she has also authored and co-authored numerous academic articles and white papers on the subject of gender identity, girls' body image, sexually explicit materials in public schools, child protection, and the family and civil society, as well as columns in national news magazines. But before we get into part two with Mary, mm-hmm. you have some things you'd like to share. I always have fun stuff to share. Uh, sometimes, sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's depressing. Sometimes. I'm not sure what to make of this. Have you ever heard of the gender unicorn? I don't know, but there's coloring pages. <laughs> the gender unicorn is brought to you by T-S-E-R. I, okay, and first of all, all of these acronyms of things We're are good at overwhelming, and I think they do that on purpose. Of course they do. Honestly. Yeah. Like, people don't even know what they are. Like, oh, whatever. Yeah, and it Just sounds official. It yeah. Sounds official. So, the Trans Student Educational Resources. Okay, this is straight out of Seattle education. This is Seattle, and you know <laughs> that everything from the Pacific Northwest, particularly Seattle, the only thing... The only thing better would be if if it was from Portland. I, I don't even. <laughs> <laughs> However, from Seattle. Well, I found their PSA. Would you like to hear it? <laughs> Let's give it a listen. The Gender Unicorn is a graphic produced by Trans Student Educational Resources, an organization focused on supporting the well-being of trans students across the globe. The Gender Unicorn provides us with visual representation of the range of SOGI experiences that are common among most people. SOGI stands for Sexual Orientation, Gender Identity, and Gender Expression. The Gender Unicorn helps users capture the difference between gender identity, who we know ourselves to be, gender expression, how we express our gender, biological sex, genitals, chromosomes, and hormones, physical attraction, and romantic attraction. Everyone has a soji, and everyone's soji is unique to them. The Gender Unicorn is a fun and informative way to think through these concepts and how they apply to ourselves and our communities. For more information, go to seattleschools.org 
forward slash health education. Okay. Okay. First of all, after I watched the video and we were just talking about the acronyms, so they left out one of their other G's, probably because it didn't fit. Soji G? Soji G. What is it? Your Soji... Social? Soji score? No. Soji... Oh, my What is it? Your Soji personality? Who knows? I... I was trying to figure it out. I, you know, I, so if you go to their website, this is an interactive page. Okay. And let's pause for a moment. So we've seen a lot of stuff, but we recently were introduced to the gender unicorn because American Family Association yes. highlighted one of the cast members yes. in the Mind Polluters, Audrey Warner. So who, it's Audrey's fault. It's, it's, I'm going to have Audrey, it's your fault. <laughs> So, so I was really, I was really glad that they had her on their show as well. I mean, people are really waking up to what's happening and what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm going to leave a link to the American Family Association uh, email that went out with Audrey's interview in it. And you guys can see the gender unicorn for yourself. I'll leave it on the website as well. I mean, you you just can't make this stuff up. I, I, I don't even, I don't know whether to laugh or cry or be infuriated because some of these people are they're they're useful idiots they're so entrenched in this and they themselves are drinking the kool-aid that they're selling just being used they're, yeah. they're just being used because they're so fooled well and here and why because we keep talking about you know last week's podcast Mary was talking all about this gender, transgender, mm -hmm. you know, this is where this stuff is coming from. And, you know, please pray for Christian parents who may be sending their children to the Seattle schools. I mean, mm. and any any other parent, this is this is why we do this, you guys. We as Christians cannot afford to send our children to public education to be indoctrinated against what scripture the authority of scripture says so you just have to look at it and if and if you can look at this and maybe you can send us an email like you've if you've figured this out but i i don't really understand column number one gender identity female woman girl or male man boy or other genders do we got pronouns going on here too <laughs> I, Move on. No, we come to that. Oh, okay. Uh, I think. Uh, next column, gender expression. Feminine, masculine, other. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Next column. And you're supposed to, you're supposed to like fill this out for yourself. Okay. I, I'm, I really feel sorry for any, I, I do. I legitimately, oh wait, I gotta, like, <laughs> I do feel sorry for people who I, are stuck I do. You know who I feel sorry for is the is the kids. That's what I mean. That are that are guided into this. Um, How confusing! Yeah, you the, think you and, send your kids off to school thinking they're getting an education, and this is what they come yeah. home with. And the teachers that are guiding them into this, uh, shame on them. And they are not held guiltless in this at all, even if they have themselves have been fooled, um, and many of them have. Mm. Uh, there is no. There's no excuse for this. Next column, sex assigned at birth. I always want to ask somebody, assigned by who? <laughs> well, did you see? <laughs> did you see now that there are genderless birth certificates that they're doing? 
I think yes. for the parents, well, this, like the signers of the yeah, <laughs> like, what? this is female, male, or other. <sighs> Column four, physically attracted to women, men, other. Column five, emotionally attracted to women, men, other. Here's our social emotional learning. Okay, but anyway, so so, so we'll if you have <laughs> to fill this out to figure yourself out. You have got other issues, and I am I am sorry for your issues. Yeah, but. Let me sum it up for you. Male, female. That's it. That's all you need. Yes. So I'll leave a link to the American Family Association email. They also, while we're talking about the transgender, they have a great new documentary film out called In His Image. Mm. And it is really well done. And um, I couldn't recommend it enough to go and watch it. So in his image is a critical and urgent message designed to equip the church to answer culturally controversial questions about gender and sexuality from a biblical perspective. And it was interesting because when we talked to Audrey and she said one of the things when she spoke with the producer, one of the things that they wish they would have addressed was the sex education, because mm-hmm. that's where so much of it is coming from. And so she was I was glad to have her mention the mind polluters and everything that we're trying to get done here. I mean, because, it, you know, you guys, we live in a saturated media driven culture. These things have to be told and shared. And we have to share the truth. Yeah. More the, above all. The church, that's the body of Christ. Parents, pastors share the truth and do it boldly. And speaking of sharing it boldly, let's listen to part two with Mary McAllister. Let's move into the obscenity exemptions. Yes. Which you're familiar with and testified in Nebraska with. So can you give people an overview of what obscenity exemptions are and why we should be concerned about them? They are provisions. They actually came into existence in late 1950s, early 1960s, beginning at that time. Because what happened is after Alfred Kinsey's books, Sexual Behavior in the Human Male and Sexual Behavior in the Human Female came out, then, uh, you know, and those were very deliberately aimed at loosening, lowering the standards for people and, and trying to convince people that everything that their mom and dad told them and everything in the Bible was a lie, that uh, sexual activity is perfectly fine at, in any manner, at any age, in any way, with any other type of person, that kind of thing. And so then a lot of the, the elites that we would call them today, you know, the Rockefeller Foundation and a lot of these other elites got together and decided that they needed to revise the criminal laws in the country uh, overall, but the first thing they did was take on sexual offenses and obscenity to lessen the penalties, and in some cases to make things that were illegal not illegal anymore. Things like adultery and fornication and seduction were illegal, but not, then they became, they were decriminalized, so you no longer could be charged with those. And for other crimes, they greatly lessened the penalties for like um, rape, statutory rape, 
things like that, they, they lowered the penalties and they made it more difficult to prove the crime. And that way then people are able to get away with those kinds of things. Well, they also needed to lower the uh, definition of what is obscene material or pornographic material because obscene material is not protected by the First Amendment. So, but the key there is what is obscene? And of course, there's that famous quote that everyone he hears from Supreme Court Justice, I'll know it when I see it. You know, how do you define obscenity? Well, you know it when you see it. And that is sort of how that has evolved now, so that it's a very, um, it's a very loose and broad standard. Well, as part of that, then, they, they decided um, most all states have a two-tiered system of obscenity. One is for adults and a higher standard for children, because obviously things that adults theoretically could look at, shouldn't, but could, are not proper for children. And so they have that system. So they have what's usually is called a harmful to minors law, something like that, where uh, material that maybe you could, you, you know, you could share with your, an, an adult friend, like for example, a Playboy magazine or something like that. Uh, you can't share with a child because of the idea that it's more harmful to the child than it is to the adult. Not good for anyone, but more harmful to the child because their brains are not developed, uh, the immaturity, all of that. So as part of this, they, they needed to, the, the group that was trying to change the law, they needed to somehow get around that. So what they developed is they had developed ex exemptions from this criminal law against harmful materials for minors and for educational purposes or libraries, scientific purposes, etc. Now, theoretically, I think some believed, well, they were doing that mostly for college. Well, college kids aren't minors, so it really it doesn't make any sense. But that's how they were, they were saying, well, real research. Well, no. So there's 43 states, at, and they did this over a period of time, beginning in the late 50s through 90s, 80s, adopted these exemptions. And they're in different forms. I mean, some are more broad, some are more restrictive, what have you. But 43 states enacted them. And so what they provide then is they provide that if you are found, or you're charged with providing inappropriate material to minors, normally you would be brought up on felony or misdemeanor criminal charges, subject to jail, etc. But if you say, oh no, these are educational materials, or I am an educator and I was given these materials to teach the children as part of their educational program, then those materials are all of a sudden, you can't be charged with transmitting them to minors. It's almost, it's like they all of a sudden become non-obscene. And, and, uh, and so then the, with these laws in place, then schools become immune from the obscenity laws. And so things that other adults in other situations would rightfully be arrested for if they gave them to children, face no charges at all. 
because they're a teacher, a counselor, they are, are they're using it in a course of education and libraries usually too. So you could have the library, the librarian can give you these books and if it's educational, then it's okay. And so that then opened the door, obviously, to then Planned Parenthood, Seek Us, all these other organizations, which are really all in one, but they just, they branch themselves out so they are less traceable uh, to develop these materials that, uh, you know, you wouldn't want to, you know, most parent, adults don't want to see them. But here's the adults giving it to the children and as education. And it's insidious in a number of ways because, you know, you, teachers are authority figures. And we, you know, we tell our children, you know, you need to respect your teacher. You need to listen to what your teacher says and you need to understand and follow her or his instructions. Well, then you have this authority figure who's in there teaching them these obscene topics and teaching them things that are polar opposite to your family values. And, and then you have this five or six or seven-year-old child whose brain isn't, isn't any way near fully developed to, to be able to differentiate about the right and the wrong. So they're thrown into complete confusion because while mom says, we shouldn't, mom and dad say we shouldn't do this. And, and God says we shouldn't do this. But the teacher said, oh, ignore that. They're, they're old fogey, whatever. No, this, it's okay. It's okay. You can do this. And it feels good. And, and, and there's no problems. And, and so the children are just like devastated, you know, psychologically and mentally, because they just have, have no way of coping it with it. Uh, and so now the, that's the law. And uh, these 43 states, now some states are trying to get it repealed. Unfortunately, it's not being uh, well, re well received because, for a lot of reasons. One of the big reasons is so many of the people who are in the legislature now, you know, grew up post Kinsey, grew up and went to school where these things were taught in to them to teach others as part of sex ed. So like I know when I testified in, in Nebraska, I ran across that with some of the legislators there. And of course this is Nebraska, you would think, I mean, conservative. But some of the liberal senators there would say, well, we need to teach our kids about sex education. We need to teach them about um, not getting sexually assaulted. I mean, how, how do we do that and not, you know, and, and that's the kind of logic some of them would use. And of course, unfortunately, uh, many of them, of course, um, have been paid by, you know, many of them get very large contributions from Planned Parenthood, ACLU, all of the, the usual suspects. And so they then are beholden to, to those groups and those groups will come visit them in their office and say, now we can't repeal that exemption. And, and so then, unfortunately, even conservative senators and congressmen and assembly members are under that same lobbying pressure or governors 
And so the, the repeals don't go through or they're very, very watered down. So they're really ineffective anyway, uh, because they're trying to keep their multi-million dollar industry going, Planned Parenthood and all the, their ancillary organizations. So I wanted to break here because as Mary was talking about this dialogue exchange, I realized I have this dialogue exchange because we were there with microphones and cameras. And so this is her describing, she's been describing this interaction she had with a Nebraska senator. Now, remember, Nebraska is what's called a unicameral government. They only have a Senate. And so this is Senator Terrell McKinney from District 11, which is urban area, I think, northern Omaha, it looks like. And if I've got that wrong, Nebraska people, forgive me, but that's what it looks like on the map. Um, and this is this is an interesting exchange because uh, this is an example of Senator McKinney saying, well, I've never seen this. This wasn't like this when I was in well, school. And isn't that the same thing from Nebraska when we talked with Maris Bentley and everyone she talks to in, mm -hmm. w within this movement and everyone she talks to, everyone says that. And even I have said that. That's why I was so shocked. Mm -hmm. And what led us down this path of making this film. Mm -hmm. I'm appalled at what our kids are being taught. We were not taught this either. So wherever this transition came in, like, it's, it's awful, you guys. It's a recent transition, yeah. and that's why we're making the movie. So let's listen to Senator Terrell McKinney's exchange with Mary McAllister. I guess, you know, through my whole life, going through elementary I don't remember ever being taught sexual education in elementary, not once. In middle school and high school, I remember it, but I, I, I maybe they start doing it, but I, I don't recall it ever happening. Um, what about, you know, education around, you know, rape and sexual assault and looking for the signs and educating our students on, you know, how to, you know, see the signs and if you're being, if a student's being manipulated, being exposed to some of this education could be helpful for them to, you know, say, hey, this has happened to me. Again, I, <clears throat> I don't think you need, uh, I don't think you need to go into the detail. I think you can, again, engage with relationship education. You can engage in, um, you know, good touch, bad touch. You don't need to go into great detail. If somebody shows you something, or, or touches you in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable and which, which makes you feel like it's not right, then you, you go to your, uh, your parent, you go to your teacher, you go to your counselor, and you say, this is the activity, or this is something that happened to me, I'm uncomfortable with it. And the teachers in, in class can talk about that, but they don't have to talk about um, and, and show most and even show photographs or pictures of the activity because that itself triggers. If there's a child who has been sexually assaulted uh, and you show them pictures, even if it's not somebody being assaulted, quote unquote, but you're showing them explicit images of people engaging in these activities, that in and of itself can trigger these children harmfully. 
And so it has to be a, a balance of informing the children about being in charge of their own bodies and not being told to do something that is uncomfortable to them, that, that makes them scared, that makes them feel bad. And if anybody does that, you need to talk to a trusted adult about it. Okay. I, again, I just simply don't ever remember seeing people engaged in the activity during my sex, sex ed classes. I remember seeing photos of like, you know, individuals with STDs and things like that, but I know, I, maybe they started teaching it since I've been out of school, maybe. I guess the last thing is, even different from my childhood, our, our children, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, are exposed to a lot more than us. These phones and the internet, and all these apps and things like that, are exposing children to a lot of things. I, in my opinion, I don't know, I, I would be interested in your response. Do you think it's better to educate our kids on what they're being exposed to or to not talk about it at all? I think, again, school does not need to be the, the place, another place where they're getting these images. Uh, yes, they. Yes, unfortunately, on television, on their phones, on the internet, on social media, they're going to see these images. But a school is a very different environment, and it, and especially it, it's especially a problem because children are told when you, you know, when you go to school, you know, you are to respect your teacher, and you're to listen to your teacher, and so if you have a teacher who is providing graphic information that, okay, yeah, they could, they could go get it on the porn sites, but you have a teacher telling you, and, and you'll hear from some other testifiers here that that is happening. Uh, then you have a teacher who's an authority figure, just like your priest or your rabbi or your pastor or your mom or dad, telling you this is something that's okay to do. This is something that people do and uh, you should enjoy it, and that is being told to kids, and, and we have people who will tell you that, then that just adds to it, and that oftentimes what they hear in school is what will drive them to go looking around on the internet, if, if they haven't already, but it will drive them. So we don't need to add to, school doesn't need to be a place where we're adding to the harm. We, school needs to be a place where they learn how to be productive citizens. They learn math and they learn science and they learn English and they learn history and they learn what it means to be uh, a well-rounded, well-educated person who can contribute to their community. And we just need to refocus on that part of school. So this is a, just a great example of why our approach in dealing with the legislative side of this has to be firm but gentle. Mm -hmm. because uh, some of these senators and representatives, a lot of them, they just don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. Some of them know very well what's going on. Yeah. And I don't know if Senator McKinney does or not. I, I don't think that he really grasped the enormity of the problem because he, uh, he kept saying, well, again, this is not what I was taught. I know that's not what you were taught. That's the point. Mm -hmm. Pay attention listen to what we're telling you this is what's happening now so well and i and i think too like with inwood drive our other documentary film that we released mm -hmm. uh, you know just this past year 
the right to life organizations have been able to give this film to their legislatures Mm -hmm. to help them understand what's happening. You guys, you it's powerful to be able to educate somebody in a short amount of time on issues that are impacting our families and society Mm -hmm. from a biblical perspective. Yeah, every every uh, way that we can disseminate information is important, but there's something unique about a film that uh, just resonates with people for for much longer than even a book. And clearly convey and leave a lasting image and impact. Yeah, because it's a combination of all of those things. And it's it's what we hear from people who have watched In What Drive is that it leaves them thinking and talking about it for days afterwards. Mm -hmm. And that's what we try to do with this podcast and what we hope will happen again with the mind polluters. Well, we're not done with Mary yet. Next week, we've got two more parts with her. Let's give a little listen to what you're going to hear on part three next Tuesday. I mean, it's almost like you, you, it becomes non-obscene as soon as, it, as soon as the material is put inside the, the library or the school. Whereas if you were outside of the school, across the street at the coffee shop, and the kids came in and you handed those out to them, you'd be arrested, rightfully so. Thank you guys for sticking around to the end. Like Mark said, we'll be back again on Tuesday to pick up part three of this four-part series with Mary McAllister and her experience and expertise in child and parental rights. Visit our website, fearlessfeatures.org, to subscribe to this show so you never miss an episode. And fearlessfeatures.org is also a great place for you to share your support for this podcast with a one-time or monthly donation, as we are a listener-supported program. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much. Have a wonderfully blessed day and weekend. 